Hello and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Good afternoon, District 3. This is your podcast host, Don Griffith. I have the pleasure of being today with Nancy Star Cassidy, Distinguished Toastmaster and Past International Director. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Don. Pleased to be here. Nancy, you've been a Toastmaster for a little while, haven't you? Just 31 plus years. 31 years. Tell us how you found Toastmasters. Go back to those early days. I, I will never forget the day. It was April 27th, 1987. I met the two men that would change my life forever when I started my new job at Salt River Project. The first person I met was Patrick Cassidy, who later, many years later, we would end up getting married. And then I also met Art Nieto. Art Nieto, for those of you that don't know, is also a past international director. And what I didn't know at the time is he was the godfather of Toastmasters for Arizona and actually truly nationally for his excellence and participation in Toastmasters. So let's just say he had a bit of an influence on my career. You were both working at Salt River Project. Correct. Within 20 feet of each other. So it was impossible to resist the force of his invitation to join Toastmasters. It took me almost a year, but I finally joined in 1988. Tell us about that first meeting. Papago Toastmasters at the time was a club that had a 50-plus membership with a waiting list. Because I was invited by Art Nieto, I moved somewhat ahead of the list, I did not realize. <laughs> and I walked into a meeting thinking, okay, I'm just going to this meeting, let's get it over with. But I walked in, I can still remember everybody's face, how nice they were, how much energy they was, how much positivity was in the room. And I said, I still don't 100% understand what they're doing, but I want in. And I actually submitted my application that day. It felt right. Right. Yep, I love it. I could tell I had found my people. What were some of the earliest things you learned after that initial meeting and getting the vibe. You got the vibe right. Yes. When did the learning start? It didn't take too long because, of course, having Art as a mentor, he wanted to make sure I was moving along very quickly. So even with the club with that many members, I had my icebreaker within three weeks. And having had some background in theater, I wasn't afraid of performing in front of an audience, but I knew I had difficulty coming up with original material that would fit in a four to six minutes. That was just terrifying to me. You had people writing your script before. Right. You just read the lines. Exactly. And those people who know when I'm really nervous, I start talking and I have no idea how to stop. I don't know how to get out off stage. There's no cue. <laughs> Where's the red light? But again, with Art's help, 
he helped me understand that this is not a scary task. And he taught me the whole rule of threes. I don't have to tell you everything. I just have to tell you three things. And that piece of advice alone has helped me both in my career, actually in my marriage, (laughs) in everything. I don't have to tell everything. I just have to have three points. And I can do that. It becomes manageable. What was your first speech about? So my speech was, it's funny how you can remember. It was 31 years ago, and you still can remember vividly. It was three things about my life that I had never thought was possible. Now, again, remember, I was only 30-something years old back then. Do the math. But um, I can remember telling everybody that the three things I had never thought I would ever do was get my college degree. It took me 14 years to get that done that I had hiked in and out of the Grand Canyon and having had a childhood with asthma, I never thought I could be that athletic. And then I had learned how to hunt with both a rifle and with a bow. Hmm. And then I had bagged most of the seven big games in Arizona. Those of you that are hunters will appreciate that. And there's something liberating about just knowing that in case of the apocalypse, I can go out and get dinner is, is very <laughs> liberating <laughs> to a city-bred girl. <laughs> well, let's hope that never comes, that yeah. you don't have to rely on it to, to feed yourself. But, yeah, three very different experiences. Mm-hmm. So it was, but I, I remember it, and I got Best Speaker, and I thought, oh, wow, you know, it took me a while to catch on. And that pretty much if you don't faint as the first timer that you get that award. <laughs> you did, had three points, mm-hmm. three things about your life. Where did you begin listening to art about things in leadership? That is also um, a case where I got voluntold. Within three weeks, I think, of me joining, they were doing elections. And I was told I was running for vice president membership. And I remember thinking, what the heck am I getting into? But this was the secret for my entire leadership career. Somebody told me or asked me to do something, but then said, if you do it, I will help you. And, I, and then they truly did help me. So it made me stop being afraid to put my name out for consideration because I knew I could get help if and when I needed it. First of all, did you even know what a vice president membership was? Oh, no. Heck no. (laughs) As a matter of fact, most of the jobs I had in Toastmasters, I kept thinking, I don't know what that is, but it sounds interesting and scary, but I'll do it. Yeah. I know when I've been asked to do things, there's a sense of, the same with you, of uncertainty. What is this and what am I getting myself into? And then the sense of, oh, well, maybe they see something in me that I didn't know I had. That is very much the case. I have always been a contributor, a very strong, hardworking contributor. I see a job that needs to be done, I can do it. But I would never, ever 
before Toastmasters ever volunteer to lead it. But if somebody else wants to lead it, I'll be there to help you. So you are a follower. Yes, good, very a, a good one. A good, strong follower, yeah. <laughs> I had that down And that's well. important. That's important in every group, including Toastmasters. We've been talking here for a few minutes about leadership, but followership is just as important. Absolutely. So that was back when Papago Toastmasters was big. It was. I remember... At one point in Papago's history, it got small. It did. Very small. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how that, what led up to that, and what did you do? It was the 90s, and SRP went through its very first layoff in its almost 100-year history. And they literally reduced the manpower uh, by a third, was, it was shocking and very disturbing for the company. And even though the company still supported Toastmasters, everybody was trying to figure out what the new corporation looked like, what their new work looked like. Because now we didn't all have a lot of leisure time that we had before. So this was also happening at the same time that I was serving as the district governor for the state of Arizona. So I personally was not vesting a lot of time in Papago. And then as my term was done and I was returning to active duty in the club, although on paper we had 25 members, we really only had six people coming to the meeting each week. And that scared me because our club had chartered in the 50s. And I felt a responsibility that this club was not going to die on my watch. And I can still remember coming in with the six people, some of them Lori Doing, Cindy Newburn, Kathy Campbell, Shelley Dudley. And I just looked at them and said, here's the deal. This club is not going to die. And it was the first year that they introduced the new Distinguished Club program with the 10 goals. And I said, all right, we're not only going to rebuild this club, but we're going to be President's Distinguished. And I can still remember the look on everyone's faces going, you're insane. And I kept saying, but it's simple. You just do one step at a time, and we have a whole year to do this. And I'll be darned if we didn't bounce back and we made presidents distinguished. And I'd love to take credit saying it was me, but all it was is me telling everyone this is possible. This is what it looks like. Now let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And they did. And it was all hands on deck. It was ever Oh yeah. That whole group had to really work hard. Yeah, I have a uh, a story about my leadership style that I learned. Again, thank you, SRP, for one of the many classes I took to learn about leadership style. And there was a, this was a very common training technique and exercise back in the 90s, which is the scenario is your ship is sinking. You have to collect items, and so you have to work with the team to decide what you're going to do. I was in 
a room alone with my team. I was still new to SRP at the time. And nobody was making any decisions. They were all just chit-chatting. Nobody was taking it seriously. And they kept coming in. You have three minutes left. The water's up to your waist. You have two minutes left. The water's up to your chest. And something inside me just snapped. And I just said, all right, people, this is what's going to happen. These are the 10 items we're going to take. This is the order of the priority. Everybody, get in the boat now. And everybody just looked at me in shock, but I felt so much better because we had something on paper. We had made our delivery. And when we got in to do the debrief, of course, all my answers were wrong because I had made them by myself. And I can still remember that a woman stood up and said, well, we were all doing just great until that B, fill in the last, read of the letters, rest of the letters, took over. And I was shocked because up till then, no one except my sister had ever called me that. <laughs> so this was a professional setting. But it led me to a huge epiphany, which is I am a great team player. Let's all have input until the water's getting up to my waist. And then let me tell you, you better all get in a boat. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were doing just fine until you stepped in. Okay, right, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> exactly. So what I recognized is to be an effective leader, I can't let the water get up just yeah. high. So we have to start getting serious work done before the water gets that high or none of us is going to like the outcome. <laughs> so this was when you were right after you were district governor. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your time in what used to be called the top three. Now we call it the trio. Yes. Talk us through that. I had a couple of really unique experiences in the trio. My When I was elected at the time, Lee Wagner was elected as district governor. Terry Sparks was elected as lieutenant governor of education. And I was coming in as lieutenant governor of marketing. It was the first time in District 3 history that there were ever going to be all three women in the trio. And people were aghast that it was going to be the first all-woman team. And I hadn't, we hadn't planned it. It just happened to be it was my time to run. And I can still remember I was running unopposed, fortunately. But at the actual business meeting, my good friend and mentor... Yours Kersless stood up and said, we're not going to let this happen. And so someone nominated him to run against me to try to force me to do my one-minute campaign speech, which, of course, I was naive and hadn't prepared for. Of course. So they were trying to get me to go first. And, of course, Art Nieto was the person in charge of the business meeting, and he was going, nope, we're doing this by rules Yours Kersalis, your name comes first alphabetically, you'll speak. And then after he spoke, I just stood up and said, I am woman, hear me roar. And then applause for 45 seconds, my, my minute was up and I just sat down. <laughs> I was elected anyway. Now what year was this? So that would have been 1995. Two years before I joined. Mm-hmm. So, it was very exciting. Yeah. 
I seem to recall that you and Art cooked up that same little trick for me. <gasps> Perhaps <laughs> that might have happened. <laughs> Except the difference was you had been nominated to uh, run against me for one of the positions. Mm-hmm. And your name came first. Yes. <laughs> And you used your time to get up and say, I forget exactly all what you said, and you concluded by saying, I withdraw my name from nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, because I was just scared somebody might just try to get even with me and vote me in. <laughs> <laughs> that would serve you right. Exactly. And I was still new enough that I didn't quite know exactly what was going on, but I knew I was being set up for uh, a joke. <laughs> We don't do that anymore. <laughs> I know. I, I miss it in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, they modified the protocol. Yes. So that's not necessary anymore. <laughs> so you were elected, back then we called it the Lieutenant Governor Marketing, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to what now? So that, I know, I keep, I'm terrible about the names. So that is, it's not, yeah, Club Growth Director. So yes. it's a different name for essentially the same position, working on getting new members and new clubs. That's the focus. Correct. And it was for the Lieutenant Governor Marketing as well. The next chair is Lieutenant Governor Education and Training, and I believe that's now called the Program Quality Director. Correct. Again, same basic role, just a different name. And then now we, ca- we call it a District Director instead of a District Governor. When you were district governor, what was your team? Is that your the team you that you just listed? No. So when I was district governor, I had just lost the person who had was a co lieutenant governor with me. She got married and moved to Texas. So I had two new lieutenants working with me, and that was. Jody K. Petra as my Lieutenant Governor of Education and Training, and Kelly McDoolid as my Lieutenant Governor of Marketing. It was a unique situation that we all happened to be blonde women. And so I was, our team was nicknamed the Blonde Leading the Blondes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's about the time when I started finding out that there was something beyond a club, and those names are all very familiar to me now. On your way through the program as you grew and developed and took on new leadership positions, did you see other people join and follow a similar trajectory that they blossomed when they, after they joined? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. As a matter of fact, one person that I, is, I use as the poster child of professional growth and personal confidence is our good friend Lori Doing. And I wish I could show a videotape of the first time that Lori came to the meeting. She sat in the back of the room shaking with tears streaming down her face because she did not want to be called on. And my good friend Cindy Newburn and I recognized a project We had known Lori, very soft-spoken, just an incredible and amazing worker, but always, always, always in the background. And her boss made her come and made her show up every week. And 
it took several weeks before she even had the courage to be able to do table topics. And let me tell you, the whole 30 seconds that she was up there and the maybe 15 words she said, tears were streaming down her face. And then you could just see a point where people get it. There's something that just clicks. And all of a sudden, she could do table topics. She could do a speech. Short and shy, but then she started gaining confidence. So at one point, we said, all right, it's time for you to serve in the secretary position. And she was horrified. And we said, don't worry, we'll help you through this. And we encouraged her to take another step. And each time she looked horrified. And we said, but we're going to be here. And then another switch flipped. And the next thing I know, this woman has become this tiger (laughs) and a huge advocate. This woman found her voice. And not only was she amazing at mentoring other people, helping other people see the possibility, and really sticking to it to watch those people grow, she became known as the promoter at SRP of all things Toastmasters. It was a beautiful and amazing and almost scary thing to watch when she found her voice. But the best part is it wasn't just Toastmasters. After being an administrative assistant at the executive level for 20 years, she stepped out of that comfort zone, became an analyst, became a supervisor, became a manager. And it was just wonderful because she applied all that feedback and mentoring in the real world, not just in the club. Yeah. People ask me why I'm still here 31 years later and still active because when you see that, when you see that person recognize that suddenly they can do this, they can do this and they can do it well, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. You've been in Toastmasters 31 years. You've seen a lot of things go by, a lot of people, a lot of things that have happened. Are there any funny things that have happened Oh, Jiminy Crickets. <laughs> there's, there's so many stories. So one of the skills that Toastmasters teaches you is that not everything will go as planned. And so you have to develop skills on what to do when things don't go well. So in retrospect, one of the funniest experiences I had, this is while I was serving as a member of the board of directors, and I got a chance to appear on an episode of Sonoran Living, which is a live news format show on Channel 15. I think it still runs. It was an hour and a half show, and for this episode, they were actually going to have a live audience of Toastmasters. They were teasing the Toastmaster program through the entire one and a half hours. The final segment was going to be a four-minute interview with me on the benefits of Toastmasters. Everything was great until the episode right before I was to come on board, which they decided to cook 
a, they had a cooking segment and they were cooking six different types of shrimp. Now, I am highly, highly allergic to shrimp. And I didn't know this was going to take place. I saw it happening live as I was getting mic'd up to come on. And I kept thinking, well, the kitchen's all the way at the other end of the set. I'll be fine. Famous last words. I'm on live television. One, two, three, go. And within 30 seconds of me trying to talk, my eyes started watering. My gums were all swelling. I couldn't concentrate. I was having difficulty breathing. The poor lady that was interviewing me had to be thinking I was some kind of psycho person. And the wonderful and amazing thing, because four minutes is a long time, Cynthia Kerford stood up and started taking over the interview. Thank goodness, because then I could sit down and she finished it for me. And if that hadn't happened, I don't know what, I'm sure it could have been far worse, but I still have the tape. Yes, it was videotaped back then. (laughs) And I can't watch it (laughs) because it was not what I had expected it to be. Right. So not your best moment. Right. And like you said, sometimes things just don't go the way they're supposed to. But most of the time, we usually think of that in terms of the video projector doesn't work or the mm-hmm. microphone doesn't work. Not that you're going to start having a, a an attack. Exactly. On live television. <laughs> no, no do-overs. No go back and try it again. <laughs> We've never been invited back. Oh, well. <laughs> A lot of things happen. Good things, mostly. Yes. Good things. We've both seen a lot of conferences. We've seen a lot of keynote addresses. We've had international officers come and visit. And I don't know if our listening audience knows, but we're having a very special visitor in the spring conference in May of 2020. Our international president is coming to town. Yes, Deepak Menon. He's a delightful, delightful man. You were on the board of directors what year? 2004 to 2006. Okay, was that another opportunity provided or pointed out to you by Mr. Art Nieto? Originally it was. I was unusual that I served seven years after I had, or sought election, seven years after I had served as district governor. And I really didn't have any intention of going that far. What ended up happening is that I helped two wonderful and amazing leaders with their campaigns. First, Jana Barnhill, and then Lark Dooley. And while serving on their campaigns and helping, I was very impressed with people around the world who were saying, Nancy, when is it your turn? And that's when it made, I started thinking, really, this, is this something I could do? And I did some research, found out what was involved, and I said, yes, I think I'll do it. And I had done enough homework that when I announced to run, 
no one would run against me. And it's not that I'm intimidating. I think my timing was just really good. But I made sure during my year of campaigning that I was working hard enough that no one would say, oh, I could beat her. (laughs) I wanted to make sure I took advantage of that head start. And I knew, too, that working a campaign really makes you better qualified and able to step into that role. And so thus... I was elected uncontested, did not have to give my two-minute speech. But as you mentioned, you did campaign. You didn't have to. And there are some unopposed candidates who choose not to do much of a campaign. They'll just show up, and it kind of works out for them. But like you said, you don't learn about the delegates. You don't learn from talking to all those those district officers from all around the world. Exactly. I'm pleased to be serving this year on the International Leadership Committee. We're in the process of recruiting and identifying future leaders for the organization. And it it really is a case of we want to make sure all of the races are contested to make sure that we are ensuring that the members have a real voice for who steps up, but that it is such a growth opportunity for the candidates. Win or lose, the information that you learn, the understanding of the organization is just such an, a great learning experience that I, I was glad I took it seriously. What would you say to someone who has the proper prerequisites. They've been through the, um, the steps required by the Constitution to be a director. And they're thinking about it, and they're on the edge. What would you tell them? It's not an easy decision because it is a very serious time commitment. It is a serious financial commitment. In what, in what way, financial commitment? You are making yourself available to have to travel sometime, at your own cost at some times, especially during campaigning. You're not being reimbursed for that travel. Uh, Toastmasters is changing their rules so you don't have to buy all the tchotchkes and paraphernalia that many of us had to do when it was our turn to run. But there are still those things that you have to buy, that you have to do the mailings, you have to make sure you have the materials to give away at the convention. And so those things do cost some serious money. So during the campaign, there's some out-of-pocket. Right. When you are elected, your expenses are covered to the, to the greater degree, right? They are now, yes. When that was one of the unfortunate rules when I served is that Toastmasters International would pay for half of the visits and the other half of the visits I was still expected to do at my own expense. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness Toastmasters International has gotten much better at supporting their directors Mm -hmm. and giving them a much more realistic schedule. Uh, So the work is better divided and much better managed from that standpoint. So it is not as big of a burden. I had to give up my kitchen remodel for my campaign. It's not that serious (laughs) anymore. (laughs) 
you mentioned a time commitment. Mm-hmm. And that, tell us what are the time commitments for a director? What are the kinds of things that do occupy your time? The, the role of director is strategic in that you are taking a look at what are the opportunities for the organization to move forward, to become better than where we are right now. And you have to really understand not just what your experience is in Toastmasters, but the fact that we are a global organization in 145 countries. And for Pete's sakes, I didn't even realize there were 145 countries, and we haven't hit them all yet. And the fact that times are really changing. What do corporations need? What do our members need? What is going to help us continue to be true to Ralph Smedley's vision of empowering people to help find their voice, but really keep this organization as the number one choice for learning communication and leadership skills. Was it worth it for you? Absolutely. I'm still married. Yay. (laughs) I had great support from my employment, so I got uh, promotions out of it from gaining that level of experience. It is something that I could never do in my career. I loved working at SRP, but that is a local organization. And now I have experience making decisions that are affecting people all over the world. I'm interacting with people from all over the world. And that is just an experience I could never have gotten, quote-unquote, in my real life. So what's next for Nancy Star Cassidy and Toastmasters? I am practicing the art of leading from the back of the room. (laughs) So that was a message that was given to me by Pastor International Denny Saunders when I was campaigning and running for the Region 3 International Director. And I can remember being interviewed. They had a version of a candidate showcase. And seeing all the past district governors and all the past international directors literally standing at the back of the room. And when I spoke, they would all nod. And I knew I was on the right track. And I knew I had their support. And that was incredibly powerful because I was really outside my comfort zone then. And just knowing that they had the power to let me know just by standing at the back of the room that what I was doing was the right thing. And so I am trying to now practice being in the back of the room and nod instead of shaking my head. (laughs) I'm doing a lot more nodding these days. Well, Nancy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you taking time out of your career as a retired person in the lovely town of Eloy, Arizona. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Don. It's always a pleasure to see you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, 
writepodcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.